So then let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa In my last talk, I started to talk about faith and refuge. So in my last talk on Friday, we were talking about what is the object of faith. And as you have seen, the object of faith is the triple gem, namely the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And also the law of cause and effect, included karma uh, and its effects. Karma as the law of cause and effect on the moral plane. We said that faith is its quality, its characteristic is that of placing trust in something. To, to trust, be trusting or to have confidence in something. And a person who has faith, who trusts in something, uh, that faith can also uh, give some protection. And I have told you the story of Achang Sujito, this monk who almost got killed in India by bandits. And having an axe waiting over his head to fall down, uh, he simply let go of everything else and um, started to chant Namotasa and this basically saved his life. I know an American uh, Buddhist nun and she was also in a life-threatening situation and it was also her face that saved her life. This happened before she actually became a nun. At that time she was traveling in India and she was in Dharamsala, the place where the Dalai Lama lives and many Tibetan refugees. And together with a friend, she walked up the mountains behind Dharamsala, about three hours up the mountain. And there she, they came across a cave and they were curious about this cave and so uh, this nun then crawled inside to see what was in there but unfortunately it was inhabited by bears and so uh, a bear attacked her and um, her head was basically in its mouth so firmly grabbed and in that moment she let go of everything else she knew 
that's probably the end and what came to her mind in that moment was an Indian or Hindu sacred word Om and she just had her mind, her heart filled with that and it was in that moment that the bear simply dropped her and so her friend then they managed to get her down she was uh, severely wound, wounded uh, managed to get her down to Dharamsala and then to the nearest hospital and the uh, Indian doctors stitched together her head and so after that then she decided to become a nun and so now being a nun one can see her scars all over her head when there is faith, confidence and trust in the mind that leads to a clarifying of the mind uh, unwholesome mental states are simply uh, washed out or they have no more room to be there when strong faith is there and so with defilements not being able to persist then the mind becomes clear and radiant or it manifests as non-fogginess the mind is no longer dull because all the defilements have been cleared away so the mind is naturally clear, shining and radiant so today we'll go on to have a look at faith I mentioned there are four kinds of faith and so today we'll have a look at the first two kinds of faith as well as looking at the attributes of the Buddha the Buddha being uh, an object of faith so there are these four kinds of faith the first one is what is called serene faith the second kind of faith is called firm faith and this kind of faith comes about through a certain understanding of the Dhamma whereas serene faith is kind of a spontaneous faith that can arise in a person's mind without knowing much about the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha or the Buddha's teaching then the third kind of faith is called unshakable faith and that goes a step further because this kind of faith comes through experiential uh, knowledge or experiential understanding of the Dhamma so it comes through practice by really implementing the Buddha's teaching in one's life and so come to an understanding based on one's personal experience and the fourth kind of faith it's translated as oncoming faith but this kind of faith is only concerned with bodhisattvas when a person gets the prophecy of a Buddha that this person then in the far future 
will become a Buddha and so then in that person this kind of oncoming phase uh, arises. So now let's have a closer look at the first kind of phase, serene phase. So serene phase means placing trust in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha without knowing much about them. There are some people whose hearts just naturally have confidence in the Triple Gem or merely hearing, merely hearing the words Buddha, Dhamma or Sangha uh, can arouse clarity and reverence in their minds. And last time I mentioned this foreign meditator who uh, followed this sound of a bell uh, in Indonesia and uh, ended up in a Buddhist temple in Indonesia. And that's how he simply uh, felt so confident uh, in this teaching. In the scriptures, this kind of faith, how it can arise in certain persons, is illustrated with the story of King Kapina of Kukuwati Kingdom. So King Kapina was living at the time of the Buddha and one day he simply heard the words Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. And so, just simply hearing these words, a strong sense of reverence, veneration and faith arose in him. And this arousing of faith and confidence in him was so strong that he experienced immense joy and rapture. And it is said that his rapture was so strong that he even blacked out. Another illustration from the scriptures for this serene phase and the benefits that it can yield is the story of a Brahmin called Adina Pupaka. So this Brahmin's name was Adina Pupaka and uh, the translation of it is one who does not give. So this Brahmin had a son who was uh, severely sick and it was so bad that it was obvious that uh, he was going to die. And the Brahmin, like one who does not give in other words, he was very stingy. So he was afraid that if his son died and then if people would come to his house and come inside, they would see his many material possessions. And so uh, he moved the son in front of the house. And so lying there on his bed, the son sort of was lying on his side and facing the wall of the house. At that time, the Buddha looked over the world to see whom he could benefit. And 
the son of the Brahmin, Adina Pubaka, came to his mind. And so he went to that place and walked uh, down the road. And when he was near that house, um, he, the Buddha, being a very shiny, luminous person, so rays of light emanated from his body. And it was so strong that this light reflected on the wall of the house and so the sun facing the wall all of a sudden uh, saw this light, the wall brightening up. And so curious what it was, um, he turned around and he saw this ascetic Gautama walking by. As he was the son of a Brahmin, uh, of course, uh, he just believed as his father in Brahma and all the rest. So he was not a disciple of the Buddha. He had not had any faith, no devotion to the Buddha. But now, as he turned over and saw this ascetic Gotama walking by, a very strong sense of reverence and respect and faith arose in his mind. And as a gesture of respect, the son wanted to fold his hands, but he was too weak to do so. He could not do it anymore. But and then it was in that uh, moment that he actually passed away. But as his mind was filled with faith, confidence, reverence for the Buddha, he was reborn in the Deva realm. So although he didn't know much about uh, the Buddha, just knowing that he was an ascetic, his mind naturally felt confidence and reverence for this ascetic. And so this wholesome mental state at the time of death produced an immediate result and on account of that he was reborn uh, as a deva. So this serene faith can cause the mind to become very clear and bright and as a result of that it can bring about a major change in the quality of the mind. So this serene faith is a natural outflow of a deep admiration of what is sublime or noble. And so this serene faith is experienced as a deep felt devotion to what is inspiring, uplifting, noble and calming. As a uh, facet of faith, we have devotion. And the German word for devotion is Hingabe, which means to give yourself, to give yourself completely. And so when there is faith and devotion, 
So it's a quality of the heart and mind, this quality of placing trust in a certain object and give yourself fully to that. And as a outward manifestation, when we bow down to the Buddha, so we use that bowing down as a physical gesture to express this inner quality of confidence, trust or faith. The Buddha said that paying respect and veneration to those who are worthy of it, that this is a great blessing. The Mahamangala Sutta is a sutta which enumerates 38 different kinds of states or activities that count as blessings. And in the, in the first verse it says, so these are the first three blessings, not to associate with the foolish, the first blessing, to associate with the wise, the second blessing, to venerate those worthy of veneration, the third blessing. This is the highest blessing. And at another time the Buddha said, those who have joyous confidence in the highest, the highest fruit will be theirs. So this means that the nobler, the more exalted the object of reverence and devotion is, the higher is the blessing bestowed by it. Another aspect of faith is the courage associated with it. So to have courageous faith. The ancient teachers were well aware that courage is an essential feature of genuine faith. These ancient teachers, they compared faith to a strong and courageous hero who plunges ahead into the turbulent waters of a river to lead other people safely across uh, to the other shore. These other people, they might either just sit there on this side of the bank of the river not knowing what to do, or they might run up and down the shore uh, of the river to look for the best place to cross over. And they might even get into arguments about the best, place, the best place to cross, but because they cannot agree on which place would be the best, then uh, they remain on that side of the river. So in any case, they will not get to the other side. It needs a certain degree of courage and confidence to actually get into the water and then cross the river. 
Otherwise, if they just sit on the uh, one side, either doing nothing or uh, getting uh, running up and down the shore, they may just waste their precious time, wasting it with uh, reflecting and analyzing, thinking about it, or wasting that time by simply remain inert and passive. This kind of serene faith can set free forces and courage that otherwise would not be able to manifest. When a person places trust in something or in somebody, then this act of trusting removes the obstacle that block the arising of wholesome qualities and mental states. Here is another example of how this serene faith can uh, remove unwholesome mental states and with that lead to a favorable reverse. In the ancient times in, on the island of Ceylon there lived a man called Damita and he had earned his livelihood as a fisherman for altogether 50 years. One day this old fisherman fell sick and it was quite bad and so when a monk who was on intimate terms with this old fisherman came to know that he was uh, severely sick he decided uh, to go and see him and he thought that it would be good to give this old fisherman something to depend on so when he got to the house he asked the fisherman's wife how her husband was doing and she said that he was really sick and not doing very well and so the monk asked if he could uh, come inside the house and see the fisherman and the wife said sure I went inside and prepared a seat for the monk to sit next to the fisherman and when the monk had sat down he asked this old fisherman how he was doing and he simply said my sickness is not getting better meaning it's pretty bad and so then the monk said well let's treat this sickness with the medicine of the Buddha please repeat after me and having said so then the monk let him take refuge uh, in the triple gem so he chanted Buddham Saranam Gachami Dhammam Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami As the monk repeat, uh, chanted the phrases the fisherman repeated them after the monk and the fisherman could understand what it meant I take refuge in the Buddha the Dhamma and the Sangha and so after having uh, let him take refuge the monk thought that it would be even better 
and more beneficial if he could make him take uh, the five precepts. And so again the monk said to the fisherman that he should repeat after him. And so he started to recite the precepts. Panadi pata veramani sikapadam samadhiyami and so on. After a little while, the monk did not hear any sound <coughs> anymore. And so uh, he um, bent his head down to the fisherman and noticed that he did not move anymore, that he did not breathe anymore. So he realized that the fisherman had passed away. When the monk realized that this was all he could do, he said goodbye to the fisherman's wife and left the house. And it is said that after the fisherman had passed away, he was also reborn in the Deva realm. Had it not been for the monk who directed the fisherman's mind to a wholesome object, to have him uh, die with a wholesome mental state, the fisherman would most likely not have had such a fortunate rebirth. We must remember that he was a fisherman and for 50 years he was catching fish and actually killing them. <coughs> So now let's go to the second kind of faith, which is firm faith. And this kind of faith, firm faith, is based on some intellectual understanding of the teachings. That means one should have some knowledge about the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. The Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha are endowed with certain qualities that highlight the special qualities of these three objects of the Triple Gem. When we read the suttas, we can uh, we come across these attributes of the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha uh, very often. And this attributes or special qualities of the Triple Gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha, they also form a very important part of the daily chants of Buddhist nuns, monks and lay people. For this firm faith to arise, one should at least know these attributes of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha and know their meanings. If one gets a basic understanding of these attributes, then one will get a very basic understanding of the Buddha's teaching. On top of that, to know some facts about the Buddha's life would also be good and it could enhance the arousing of firm faith. So next week, next Monday, is Vesak Day, 
like the full moon day in May, which is the most important day for Buddhists uh, throughout the year. That's the day when the Buddha's uh, birth, enlightenment and passing away is commemorated. And so uh, I will take that opportunity and talk about the Buddha's life on that day, so next Monday. So now let's have a look at the attributes of the Buddha. And there are nine attributes or special qualities uh, of the Buddha. I will mention them uh, briefly and after that go through each of them in more detail. So the first attribute is Araham in Pali, which means the Buddha is worthy of respect and honor. The second one is Samma Sambuddha, and this means that the Buddha is completely and fully enlightened by himself. The third attribute is Vicha Charana Sampano, and this means the Buddha is endowed with supreme knowledge and virtuous conduct. The next attribute is Sugato. This means either well-spoken or well-gone. Then the fifth attribute is Lokavidu, which means the Buddha is the knower of the worlds. The sixth one is Anuttaro Purisa Dhamma Sarati. And this means the Buddha is the incomparable teacher of persons to be tamed. The seventh attribute is Sata Deva Manusanam. And this means the Buddha is the teacher of devas and humans. The eighth attribute is Buddha, which means the awakened one, the one who knows. And the ninth and last attribute is Bhagawa, which is translated the blessed one. So let's go through these nine attributes and have a closer look at them. The first attribute is Araham, which means that the Buddha is worthy of respect and honor. The Buddha is worthy of respect and honor because he made an unwavering effort to discover the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. He undertook so much hardships to fulfill all the paramis, the perfections, in order to become a Buddha. A long, long, long time ago, uh, at the time of Buddha Dipankara, uh, he became the, pr uh, the prophecy that then in the future he would become a Buddha. And so the time span that uh, it took for him to fulfill all the perfections 
was four incalculables and a hundred thousand worlds. So that's an incredibly long span of time. It's almost beyond imagination. But just to give you a comparison to kind of get an idea, not a real understanding, but just an idea of how long that uh, is. So one world or one world cycle is the time needed to wear down a huge mountain, let's say Mount Everest, so to completely wear off this mountain. And for that a tiny little bird comes every hundred years one time to sharpen its beak on the mountain. And so uh, the time it needs to wear down this mountain, that's one world cycle. So because of his great effort and perseverance, as well as his profound wisdom and great compassion, the Buddha is worthy of respect and veneration. Then the second attribute, Samma Sambuddha, means that he is fully enlightened by himself. In other words, the Buddha knew all the Dhammas in the right way by himself. The Buddha did not have a teacher who could show him the way to enlightenment. There was nobody who was teaching him the Four Noble Truths. While striving to attain the deathless, he discovered these Four Noble Truths by himself. And when he penetrated into these Four Noble Truths in the night of his enlightenment, so this realization was so profound that after his enlightenment at first he was reluctant to teach because he thought that nobody would be able to understand it. But urged by the Brahma Sahampati, urged to teach, he looked a bit closer at the world and then actually realized that there were some beings with only little dust in their eyes who would be able to understand. Because it is said that there are also other Buddhas arising in the world who do not teach the Dhamma. And so these kinds of Buddha, they are called Pachika Buddhas, translated as silent Buddhas, because they remain silent, they do not teach the Dhamma. Whereas a Buddha that teaches the Dhamma is a Sama Sambuddha. So then the third attribute is Vichacharana Sampano and this means the Buddha is endowed with supreme knowledge and virtuous conduct. This supreme knowledge is threefold and there are fifteen kinds of virtuous conduct. So these three supreme knowledges they are first one is 
the ability to, re, uh, to recollect all past existences. The second is to have the divine eye, which means that what one can see everywhere, everything, even very far away places or very minute things. And the third knowledge, that's the wisdom that puts an end to all the defilements which is needed to become enlightened. The first two knowledges to recollect one's past existences and the divine eyes, this kind of knowledges they can also be attained through the jhanas, like supernormal powers that one can attain based on the jhanas. But the third kind of knowledge, the eradication of the defilements penetrating into the Four Noble Truths, that um, is special and that cannot be attained through the jhanas. <coughs> Now, the 15 kinds of virtuous conduct, I'll just uh, mention them to you so that you get an idea what this includes. So they are morality, then restraining the six senses, restraining the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body and the mind, then moderation in eating, so if you can be a bit moderate in eating, um, that's virtuous conduct. <laughs> Next one is vigilance, then moral shame and moral dread, then great learning, wisdom, confidence, and industriousness or not being lazy then another one is concentration and the last one is the fourfold jhana of the non-material sphere the immaterial jhanas the next attribute of the Buddha is and this means either well said, well spoken, can also mean well gone. One who has gone well has gone to Nibbana. Well spoken or well said refers to the six ways of speaking. And the Buddha only used two ways. He spoke only what was true and what was beneficial. And he spoke what was true and beneficial regardless whether it was pleasant or unpleasant to the listener. The Buddha also used the proper words at the proper time, at the proper place. The Buddha would never say something that was not beneficial, even if it was true. So it always had to be true and beneficial. 
Now the fifth attribute is Lokavidu and this means the Buddha is the knower of the worlds. The Buddha knows everything in the three worlds, namely the worlds of beings, then the world of location and the world of mental formations. There was not a single place in this or another universe that was not known by the Buddha. So Loka, this means world, and it's divided into three categories. The world of living beings, that's the first one, and this includes all living beings, human beings, animals, and other living beings how beings, petas, devas, brahmas, and so on. So the Buddha knew all these different kinds of beings. Their, he knew their habits, their tendencies. He knew the keen or the dull faculties of these beings. Then the second kind of world, the world of location, this includes all inanimate things like mountains, rivers, lakes, trees, and plants. The Buddha was aware of countless other universes, including stars and planets. Although he knew that he did not emphasize this in his teachings, because knowing this is not conducive to liberation, or to become free from the cycle of uh, birth and death. And the third kind of world is the world of mental formations. And this actually refers to the impermanence and transitoriness of all conditioned phenomena, all conditioned mental and physical phenomena. Then the sixth attribute is Anuttaro Purisa Dhammasarati. This means the Buddha was the incomparable teachers, teacher of beings to be tamed. He was incomparable because nobody uh, could be compared to him. The Buddha surpassed the entire world with his supreme qualities. And the traditional simile uh, for this is uh, like a skilled elephant trainer who can drive away, drive away a wild elephant by chasing him in only one direction. And so, like a trained, a skilled elephant trainer, the Buddha uh, could guide all beings out of the cycle of samsara. He could drive them or direct them in one direction, namely to liberation, to the attainment of Nibbana. And the Buddha could do so because as we have seen, he knew all the habits and tendencies of living beings, so he always knew the best and most appropriate way to do so.
and he could uh, do that with the poor and the rich, the virtuous and the robbers, the wise and the foolish. Then the seventh attribute is Sattā Deva Manusanam and this means that the Buddha was the teacher of Devas, Brahmas and humans. As their teacher he pointed out the way that led away from the fearful states to the peace of Nibbāna. He showed that it is actually possible to get out of this cycle of rebirth and that it is possible to bring suffering to a complete end. The next attribute is Buddha and this means one who knows or the awakened one. The Buddha was awakened to absolute reality he knew he was the one who knows the four noble truths. So the Buddha not only realized these four noble truths for himself, but he also was passing on this knowledge, this understanding to others, because out of his great compassion he also wanted other beings uh, to understand them in order to make an end of suffering. As I said, uh, Pachika Buddha realizes also these Four Noble Truths but then uh, that Buddha stays silent, does not teach. That's why uh, such a Buddha is called a silent Buddha. The last attribute of the Buddha is Bhagava and this means the blessed one or the glorious one and he was blessed or he was glorious because he was endowed with six kinds of power and they are like the Buddha was in complete control of his mind would be nice to have that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> then the next kind of power was that he was endowed with the nine kinds of Dhammas, which means the four path knowledges, the four fruition knowledges, and Nibbana. The third kind of power was that he was famous in the three worlds of the humans, devas and brahmas. And the next one is his body was endowed with the major and minor marks. And what these major marks are I will mention in a minute. And included in this is that his uh, whole body was perfectly shaped and shining radiantly. And the next kind of power was that all his wishes were accomplished in no time. 
this would also be something very nice to have. Eh? And the last one is that he was endowed with great and steadfast effort leading him all the way to full enlightenment and uh, omniscience. The difference between a fully enlightened person, an arahant, and the Buddha is that, like a Buddha is also an arahant in a way, uh, fully enlightened, but omniscience, that's um, peculiar to Buddhas. So not um, the arahants do not have this omniscience, like have this vast and unimpeded knowledge that a Buddha has. So, to be endowed with the major and minor marks. It is said that the Buddha had 32 major marks that only Buddhas have. And so, um, I'll mention these 32 major marks that you get an idea, give some idea of how the Buddha looked like or uh, yeah, his special qualities. Some of them are a bit uh, particular. So I'll just go through these 32 major marks of a Buddha. The first one is, he sets his foot down squarely. Next one, on the soles of his feet there are wheels with a thousand spokes and ribs and hubs. Sometimes one can see on uh, Buddha statues, reclining Buddha statues, when one can see the soles of his feet that is depicted there. Third one, he has projecting heels. Next one, he has long fingers and toes. Then his hands and feet are soft and tender. Next, he has netted hands and feet. Next one, his feet are arched. Next one, he has legs like an antelope. <laughs> when standing without stooping, his hands reach his knees. So almost like very long arms. <laughs> <laughs> Next one, uh, the male organ is enclosed in a sheath. Next, he has a golden color. Then, he is fine-skinned. Because of the fineness of his skin, dust and dirt do not stick on his body. There is one hair to each pore of the skin. The hairs of the body are black, rising straight and curling to the right. Then he has the straight limbs of a Brahma. Next, he has seven convexities. These are the backs of the four limbs, the two shoulders and the trunk. Next one, he has the torso of a lion. 
then he has the space between the shoulders filled out. His height is equal to his outstretched arms. Then his neck and his shoulders are even. Then his taste is supremely acute. Then he is lion-jawed. He has forty teeth. His teeth are even. His teeth are without gaps. His teeth are quite white. He has a large tongue. And in one description it says that with his tongue he can reach his ears. <laughs> Next one. He has a divine voice. And it said, like the call of a Karavika bird. Must be a bird having a very beautiful uh, divine sound. And then his eyes are deep blue. And the next one. He has the eyelashes of an ox. <laughs> then he has hair growing in the space between his eyebrows, which is white with the sheen of soft cotton. And the last of these 32 major marks, his head is shaped like a turban. And this mark um, accounts for the protuberance commonly, commonly seen on the top of the head of a Buddha like what we can see on this uh, Buddha statue here and it's different in different countries or different styles sometimes it's like a round knob but especially in Thailand Thai Buddhist statue has this like a spire quite a long like over there a bit So when we look at the Buddha statue, we can see some of these major marks. As this um, knob on his head, but also like the, the hair growing between the eyebrows. Can't see it over there. Especially in Tibetan Buddhist uh, Buddha statues, one can see they put something in here and so then sometimes uh, it's taken as the third eye but it's not a third eye it's simply this hair uh, growing between the eyebrows other marks that can be seen on Buddha statues are the long fingers and toes and very often uh, the fingers and toes are depicted that they all have the same length. So all the fingers and toes uh, are equally long. Another um, feature that we see on Buddha statues or paintings of Buddha are the long earlobes. And sometimes they reach down to the shoulder. So they are not mentioned as 
the, among the 32 major marks of the Buddha. So maybe they belong to the 80 minor marks of a Buddha. And regarding the Buddha's behavior, in one of the suttas, the Brahmayu Sutta found in the Nikaya, we have some descriptions of how the Buddha uh, behaved, of how he moved about. And so I'd like to read uh, this to you. When he walks, he steps out with the right foot first. He does not extend his foot too far or put it down too near. He walks neither too quickly nor too slowly. He walks without his knees knocking together. <laughs> he walks without his ankles knocking together. When he walks, only the lower part of his body oscillates and he does not walk with bodily effort. When he turns to look, he does so with his whole body. He does not look straight up. He does not look straight down. He does not walk looking about. He looks a plough yoke's length before him. And then, when seated indoors, he does not fidget with his hands. He does not fidget with his feet. He does not sit with the knees crossed. He does not sit with his ankles crossed. He does not sit with his hand holding his chin. And then regarding eating, it said, He turns the mouth full over two or three times in his mouth and then swallows it and no rice kernel enters his body unchewed, and no rice kernel remains in his mouth. Only then he takes another mouthful. He takes his food experiencing the taste, though not experiencing greed for the taste. Maybe that's a minor difference between us and the Buddha. <laughs> So by looking at these nine attributes of the Buddha together with the 32 major marks and some descriptions of his behavior, we can get a bit a clearer picture of the Buddha. And so based on this understanding, our faith in him as an exceptionally noble and outstanding being can grow and become stronger. So for example, before or after bowing down to a Buddha statue, we can take a few moments and reflect on one or several of the attributes or his marks or his behavior. And we can choose that quality that we feel especially inspiring or uplifting and on which quality we focus, this can change in the course of our practice, this can change in the course uh, of our life. So for example, um, 
in order is the attribute of sukato. The Buddha only speaks what is true and beneficial and maybe not so much in intensive retreat where we keep noble silence but uh, out of retreat in our day-to-day life so we could be uh, inspired by that speaking that which is true and beneficial and so we could remember that throughout the day and uh, also try to speak what is true and beneficial or as we have heard in his description while eating no rice kernel enters his body unchewed no rice kernel uh, remains in his mouth only then he takes another mouthful so when we want to pay a bit more attention to the eating how do we eat? when do we take the next mouthful? have we properly chewed everything? have we properly swallowed everything? before we start to take the next mouthful or maybe the attribute attribute Buddha uh, is inspiring and uplifting the fact uh, that he is awakened or the one who knows and so we can be inspired that if uh, we continue with the practice we can also become more awake we also can come to know to know the Four Noble Truths to know reality as it really is free from our biases and judgments and opinions so today we had a look at the first two kinds of faith namely serene faith and firm faith serene faith is that kind of faith that spontaneously can come up in persons or just that faith um, in the Buddha Dharma Sangha the triple gem without knowing much about it firm faith comes about with some understanding of the triple gem some understanding of the Buddha's teaching and so in regard to the arousing of firm faith we had a look at the attributes of the Buddha his major marks and uh, some of his behavior so for a more complete understanding of the Dhamma uh, we should also know uh, the attributes of the Dhamma and the attributes of the Sangha so we will do this uh, in the next two talks and then we will also deal with the topic of refuge going for refuge so may your faith become strong and firm and lead you all the way to complete liberation Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.